Good morning, everybody. Or if you'd like to stand with us, good to see you.
Christian Church. We're so glad you could be here with us this Sunday. If you're interested in joining our missions team, there will be a meeting Monday, May 17th at 6 p.m. in room 201. If you're unable to attend the meeting but you'd still like to participate, please contact the church office. If you're looking for a way to connect, we have a few options following the service. Koinonia will be meeting in room 201 downstairs, Faithful Friends will be meeting in room 100, and Digging Deeper will be meeting in the worship center. We'd love for you to join us at any of these. That's all the announcements for today. Thanks for joining us. All right, everybody. Before we go into our next song, is, you can take a seat real quick. And um, is there any prayer requests? When we get together and we all kind of uh, go to the throne together, there's, there's something about that when God's people are united in prayer. So just want to solicit the room if anybody wants to raise their hands. Uh, yes, Alex. 
you, baby girl. Yes. Yes. There's no more. You will enter. Yes, uh, Joe. We do have one more song after this, but if you'd like to dismiss your children, um, Matt's in the back and he'll. Rachel, Rachel and David. I did see that hand, yes. <coughs> yeah, you've been in prayer for that. Okay, all right. Father, I come to you grateful that uh, you're able to, well, you know of all the things that are in the room that have been spoken and gone unspoken, and I pray, coming to you now, um, first, uh, many people have been to doctors, many people have um, gone through all the fears that come with sobering news for the things that we're praying about, and um, we come to you now, and I'm, I'm sure that you've been that you've been consulted with these things before, but as a church, we come unified with one mind and oneness and unity for our brothers and sisters to our right and our left. And I thank you that you're a God who is sovereign in control of all things. And for those who love you, you are working all things together for good. May our hearts rest in your sovereignty, knowing that and remembering that you are good, and you are enough. And so I pray for grace that would nullify the fears of those who have loved ones and who are themselves 
not well. And I pray that you would position our hearts to have peace today as we sing about you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, our God, the one who has ransomed us and been kind to us and given us life. And specifically, I lift up these requests. I thank you for the new baby girl. I heard she was seven pounds and some ounces, and you know that exactly. And I thank you for that new life in the world and, and, and pray that it would be a vibrant one and that you, your care would uh, meet this child as, it, as you bring her forward. And I pray for Casey Dale, who's struggling with MS. And I know that this is a difficult thing to go through, and I know that uh, without you, it's all the more difficult. So I pray that you would make your name and your presence pronounced. I pray for Missy, a hospice nurse who needs encouragement, that this day that you would grant it to her and that her heart would be made lightened by you helping bear the load. Pray for Herod Steele um, for encouragement and healing and help, the grace that we can't live or breathe without. And I pray for Odin, who's had surgery and the, the, the recovery would go well. Uh, uh, and, and when it comes that you would grant grace to this. And I give you praise for, for Chris and the heart surgery that went well. Thank you for the access to, to the care that was provided and your grace along the way as you bless your people with access to help and help us to carry one another's burdens. I pray for Chuck. Pray against any discouragement or fear on, that is on their hearts and pray that you would make his heart well, and that you would grant clarity and sturdiness and strength to him as, they go, as he goes through this, as they both go through this, that you would encourage them in their marriage and help them to lean on each other well, both leaning on you. Pray for, for Brian, who's undergoing things that are terrifying when you hear the word cancer. And I pray that you would provide a way, that you would provide healing, and that you would provide grace and nullify the fears that are within. Because next to you, they, they have no claim on a life that is yours. And I pray for Sammy. Continue praying for Sammy. And I pray for continued clarity on a stomach issue that's taking place, and as well as strength not only to figure the problem out, but to, rem to remedy it, and for uh, the discouragement that the parents have experienced because when our child is, has something, something of an issue like she is having, and it's hard when there's no control that can be had, but you are in control of all things, so may that be a pillow they rest their head on. And for all of us who have, who have things that are within us that are that we don't want to say or put into the room. Help us to put those things before you now. And find a shoulder and a friend and a brother and sister in Christ to pray for us, to be open with. And thank you for this time and for all the blessing that you'll give from your open hand from this. And it's for your wonderful name we pray and sing of the glories of Christ Jesus. Amen.
like to stand with us for once.
if you have any breath left, go ahead and sit down. And if you don't, sit down and take a breath. Do you guys feel like you're breathing a little easier anyway right now? I know that they're slowly rescinding uh, the, um, the, the notion of wearing a mask, which is something that we've habituated to for quite a long time. And uh, in the process, uh, we've had, uh, I think, nothing less than a, than a pandemic adventure, if you want to call it that. And I know that the governor had mentioned that uh, this past week, that in a few weeks, um, uh, it's really up to uh, everyone to decide how they're going to manage mask wearing, which I think is, is a liberating sign. You almost feel like um, may, maybe the end of this pandemic is, uh, is drawing near, which uh, is in itself also a liberating uh, feeling, I'm sure, for, for you guys. I know it is for me. However, there's a, there's a great irony in this whole thing because for about 35 years, I've, I've carried something called faith and trust and fear regarding one aspect of my life that, um, well, I came to a head this morning, uh, 35 years. I've been waiting for this uh, in dread, but also in hope and in hoping against hope and faith and you're probably wondering, what in the heck is he talking about? You guys online as well, welcome, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, this morning, I, I, I took a piece of gum, and I put it in my mouth, and as soon as I bit into it, uh, part of my, part of my um, how shall I say it, artificial dental display disappeared. And uh, whenever I was uh, in, in college, I had braces put in, and they said, yeah, that tooth, uh, it never really grew back whenever you lost your baby tooth. And so we've got to install uh, a fake one. And, but they said, they said, don't worry, because we have a bridge that we can install, and we're going to glue it. And we're going to glue it, and notice this is 35 years ago, space age glue from NASA. Those were the dentist words, space age glue from NASA. And I thought, well, you know what? If it's from NASA, it's got to hold up for a long, long time. And he said, when I asked him, how long will that thing stay in there? And he said, about five years, and then you'll need to get it re-glued. Well, I had one, the other side fell out within about 10 years, but this side I've just been nursing and trusting in faith, NASA glue, NASA glue, NASA glue. And there also was this sense of kind of anxiety behind that faith that said, don't fall out, don't fall out. So when I eat an apple, I cut it up real good, and I, I don't bite anything with that tooth or anything like that. And then wouldn't you know it, the very Sunday after the announcement that you don't need to wear masks anymore, I got that going on. And I looked in the mirror, and I'm like, I hope my wife still loves me after that. And when I told her this morning, her first words were, don't worry. I didn't even ask her. I still love you. So I thought that was good. That was good. And hopefully it's more than just superficial, you know, uh, attraction. That is something that is deeper and deeper and deeper that's evolved over time that's made the connection or the attachment more solid. And as we get into 
this chapter, chapter 7 of the book of Luke, we find that uh, there is the practical application of a sermon that we've just spent six weeks talking about, the Sermon on the Plain. And that sermon parallels the sermon in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And if you've ever read the book of Matthew, you know that that's a pretty important part of the whole book. Matter of fact, understanding what that sermon is about explains everything else in the book of Matthew. And Luke essentially took the same strategy when he wrote this letter to his friend, Theophilus. And he said, I want to write to you an orderly account of the things that I understand about who Jesus is as a Jewish Messiah and why we Romans or Gentiles need to pay attention. Because what he said for them is also for us or for you. And it's also for everyone in this room. And that's why I think it's perennially so fresh. It speaks a timely word in a timeless way. And as we've gone through this sermon for six weeks, uh, it said some pretty interesting and provocative things about the new way of life that believers are called to live that is very different than the way of life that we live just when we are born into the world and we apply the rules of the world to our life and we hope against hope that somehow we'll be successful in life or we'll do well in life or our kids will do well. And a lot of us are in this room because somewhere along the way we realized we're kind of over our head. There are things about life that we can't control. There are disruptions that happen in life that are way beyond our capacity to meet the challenge of. There are things in life that will have an impact on our lives that cause us to ask the question, I wonder if God can help. And that wonder was turned to actually a curiosity by a person that we're getting ready to read about who happened to be a non-Jewish person, but he was close enough to the activities that were happening in the region of Galilee, particularly in the community of Capernaum, that he was starting to trust that the stuff that he was hearing about this miracle worker, Jesus, quite possibly was true. And then he began to see firsthand the changes of the community people that he would encounter on a pretty regular basis and how it was dramatic. And the testimony of just what Jesus was able to accomplish in their life spoke volumes to him. And I think, like so many of us, we hear good things about Jesus, about his love and his compassion, and Hopefully, we've been the recipients of the love and compassion of other people along the way that were Christians, and that spoke to us. And something spoke to him that I'd like to explore. And before we get there, I just want to go backwards for a second and remind you of what we talked about just, um, just a while back here last week. 
It says uh, in Luke chapter 6, verses 48 and 49, Jesus ends his sermon with this thought. I will show you what it is like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rose and broke against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. Now, just a couple of things to keep in mind as we go into this story. The rock is Jesus. He is that bedrock, that unmovable location that we are called to build the foundation of our very lives upon. And we explored that a little bit uh, in the message and more so uh, in the, in the uh, teaching that Rich had following the message last week. Um, and, if you've, and if you're looking for a, a Bible study, as uh, Macy mentioned, we have several, and one of them is just on the passage of Scripture that we're talking about during the message, that if you want to dig deeper, uh, that's what Rich does. And he and I have conversations about how we want to just let this flow into the lives of you guys. And so um, that, that's, a, that's an option, certainly. But more to the point, when you look at the rock and the foundation, there has to be a connection between the rock and the foundation that makes it stay. Because you can actually have a rock in the middle of a, a, a desert river, and if it's not sufficiently attached, the floodwaters will still come and carry it off. And so what I want to focus on today is that thing that attaches your foundation and mine to the rock. Okay, you with me? And in the story, we find out what that is. So let's just turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And uh, you can look on the screen, on your Bible, your app, whatever you have. But let's just take a look. So it said that when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent uh, uh, some elders of the Jews to him. So here we have a... Roman centurion and Jewish elders in a country that is Roman-occupied and there's hostility. So this is kind of interesting already. And as it unfolds, it says, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they, the elders, came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to, ha to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. And so, Jesus went. He went to them, went with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
That's why I didn't, that's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, Scripture says he was amazed. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, just for a second, how many places have you seen Jesus amazed versus how many times have you seen Jesus amazing people? And the answer to the question is not very many. Not very many. Matter of fact, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head that tops this one because he's looking at the centurion who is not a Jew, not expecting anything from the storyline of the Bible like the Jews should be, and yet his response blows him away. And he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found their servant well. Now, what's going on here? This is kind of a weird story because you would think that right out of the gate from the sermon, it would be Israelites who are just clamoring to connect with Jesus in, in hopefully deeper and more trusting ways. But it would appear that there were Jews who still didn't quite get it like the centurion got it. And I think in this story, there's a couple of words that take on rich meaning. One of them is authority. And you and I know a little bit about authority. If we've worked for somebody, if you ever had your boss tell you, I want you to go do this, and it wasn't something you particularly wanted to do, what was your response? Yeah, I'll do it, but I'm probably not going to give it my all. Yeah, I'll do it just enough to satisfy you. Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, hey, you know what? I got 10 other things I got to do. And it, and it seems like that word authority is something that we're not really too comfortable with, notwithstanding the fact that we don't have an absolute sense of authority, unless it's with our kids, and then it's us. And them, not us versus them, but sometimes them versus us. But you say a word, and when they're kids, they respond. But even that gets a little bit fuzzy after a while. And what Jesus is after is a sense of absolute understanding that this authority is it's ironclad. It is something that is established. It is unchallengeable. It is something that you really can't even question because it is what it is. And because we live in a moment where, well, many of the institutions that we trusted as being authoritative are not very healthy, whether it's our government or for government reasons, law enforcement, 
whether it is the authority of the marketplace and how many of us have just assumed that if I want something, I just know grass is green, water's wet, and they carry it at the store. And I was just at the store yesterday trying to buy Briggs and Stratton oil for my lawnmower. I'm thinking, how many people in this room have a Briggs and Stratton engine? So there's got to be like 10 million quarts of that floating around the city somewhere. And I go there, and we're all sold out. And I go someplace else, and they're like, we're all sold out. And you're like, even the supply chain no longer is reliable. And I think that's part of the reason why you and I are here is because we are looking for something reliable to base our life on. Because God has worked through this pandemic in a way, I think, to upend a lot of the things that are the basis for your security and mine. And I think he's showing us that our dependence and our priorities have to be realigned along the lines of his presence in your life and mine. And I think one of the things maybe God saw prior to the pandemic was we ritually and habitually might come to church, maybe even pray, maybe even read God's word, but were we using that missing ingredient as well? That thing between the rock and the foundation. That other thing that's mentioned in this scripture that I want to talk about today. It's just one word. How do we stay connected to the well-built, to the, how do we stay attached? How do we stay attached to the rock and have a well-built foundation? There's just one word, and it's faith. The very thing that Jesus said, I'm amazed. I'm looking at these Jewish elders. I'm amazed, first of all, that they had the chutzpah to come and approach me about him. That's pretty good, and actually I like it. But I'm also amazed that He's kind of been paying attention to the stuff that's been going on in this town, Capernaum. So much so that the dots connected. In his mind, he saw and he knew this man, Jesus, was from God. And he had that kind of authority, that kind of weight of authority. Because he was so used to authority, being a Roman centurion, which was kind of like a middle-ranked soldier that was part soldier, part administrator, who was stationed in a little area called Capernaum with the responsibility of making sure that nobody really got out of alignment, that things stayed peaceful. And about 50 miles away in Caesarea Philippi, that's where the central headquarters was. And he knew that while he was there, whatever they said there, 50 miles away, he had to do. And the people underneath him knew that whatever the centurion said, which centurion is that word of 
like we have cent, you know, C-E-N-T. Remember, you guys remember pennies back in the day, pennies? Okay. Well, you get 100 of them, and you get a dollar. Remember a dollar back in the day to buy you something? Okay. Well, he's over 100 people. So he, that's a pretty impressive amount of authority when you think about it. And yet, all that power that he had to be able to tell people to do stuff whenever he said to do it, he was humble enough to realize, yeah, I still don't have what I need. I still lack something. Because there are things in life that are much larger than what the marketplace, power over people, being able to just freely move about. There's something else that makes it work well. You see, during the pandemic, it's been interesting because I've seen a lot of things happen in people's lives that have been at a much deeper level of their existence. I've seen Christians embrace their faith like I haven't ever seen before. And that's been very gratifying for me. I've seen people say, what I had before the pandemic was not enough, and I need something deeper. And I'm so grateful that we were able to go through the power habits together, and a lot of you said, yeah, that helped me to process what we were going through. But there's others of us that maybe we looked at that whole experience and it started shaking our jobs, our family, our relationship with our spouse, even uncertainty about ourselves to the point where our thinking became very dark. And the pandemic certainly did that as well, not to mention shaking up the marketplace and everything about our daily life that we take for granted. I mean, you talk about unstable. We look at, I got a phone call from my wife, and she said, I don't know what's going on with gas prices, but I hear on the other side of uh, uh, the states over there on the East Coast, uh, it's going way up. Should I gas up? And I'm like, well, that's kind of the, the theater of the moment this week because just when you think, Something is kind of locked down. It's not. And so we need a well-built foundation established on the rock. And faith is the glue. And I would say it's the glue that, okay, I'll give NASA a lot of credit. Okay. Of course, we give them a lot of money so that they can get a lot of credit. But we have Velcro. And we have super glue for teeth the last 35 years. But I'm talking about a different kind of glue altogether. It's a glue, actually, that has a lot to do with trust. You know, when, when babies are born, uh, Alice, you mentioned, you're just beaming. Like, this is your kid, almost. But it kind of is, isn't it? And that, that beautiful little child is looking up, and everything's just kind of a blur. This is what I'm told. I don't remember. But I've heard it's kind of a blur. And then things, as the child begins to sort of develop a little bit more, come into focus. And then things sort of take on uh, 
concreteness and I'm not a pediatric uh, educator or anything, but but I, I've heard I've heard that um, they start to kind of differentiate, and pretty soon they understand who mom is and who dad is, and things like that. But then when that child gets to be about 18, 19, 20, life starts hitting them pretty hard from different angles, and they start to question what is it all about. And at that age, some kids decide that I'm going to take the faith that used to be the faith that I had attached to my parents, and I'm actually going to attach myself in my own way to the Lord. And I would say that that child who is now basically a young adult has started to grow a new set of eyes that see the world through the eyes of faith through the eyes that trust that no matter what, God is there and he is trustworthy and he will help me. That's faith. And that faith that Jesus saw in the centurion as it came alive, well, you may be asking yourself at this point, how did he apply it? And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned the definition of faith as a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. And the scripture testimony is a very reliable source of information for you and I. And it seems like during the pandemic, the more I went to it, the more it just jumped out. I don't know if you had that experience or not, but it's like, I heard the words of the media, I heard the words of Twitter and all those places. And what I found is a lot of that stuff is just made up. And I turned to the Bible and I'm like, I get this sense, this isn't just made up. It's been around for 2,000 plus years. And people have question it from every angle and it's still there it's part of our foundation rich talked about the foundation of the apostles that give us this testimony called the word and it becomes the anchor it becomes part of the way that we begin to develop eyes of faith and the glue that we need to attach ourselves to the rock who is jesus now, there's something going on here that I think is, is important in the whole storyline. I'm just going to say it real quickly. And Paul refers to it in Romans chapter 4 when he's trying to preach to the Gentiles and just assure them, hey, the good news, it's for you. Because even though the Israelites had Moses, it actually goes farther back than Moses. It goes all the way back to a guy named Abraham. And here's what Paul wrote. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses like the Jews, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Okay? That essentially is, that, that's, that's familial language where the idea of a family is being created by God through this man, Abraham. And Paul writes about it, so he says, this is what the scriptures mean when God told him, 
I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Here's a centurion. He has no biblical story to draw from. All he has are these people walking around that are no longer broken, that are no longer um, in, in a state of physical disrepair. And he's just amazed. And out of just that, God creates a family member. And I think that's one reason why Jesus was amazed is the very first person that joins the family after the sermon is, of all people, one of our biggest enemies. Oh, yeah. Do you remember anything in the sermon about loving our enemies? I think it's mentioned twice. And this is just the application. It's just unfolding here. But it's unfolding for a purpose so that this man who is made in God's image like you and I can be incorporated into the family. For Jesus, it's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about culture. I certainly want to respect people who come from different origins. But at the end of the day, we all come from the same source and we are made in God's image. People are just people made in God's image. And that should be your filter when you process how you look at people around you. And I know that's even very inflammatory language, but I recognize that at the end of the day, my eyes of faith condition me to see people as just made in God's image, no matter who they are, what they look like, with good orthodontia or with sketchy orthodontia, still made in God's image. That's very comforting for me, by the way. But what Abraham did was he never wavered, Paul goes on to write, in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Now, about the same time I had this thing put in my head and glued on, I also became attached to a woman who I asked to marry me named Amanda. I'll tell you what, that took a lot of faith. Not so much on my part, her part. Am I attaching myself to this person in a way that it's going to end well? And she didn't know me that well. She knew me for uh, maybe a year after I proposed to her, and then, you know, sometime after that we got married. I can't remember the, never mind. Um, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Just kidding. Um, uh, so there was a little bit of trust going on there. But can I really trust you? Are you really a trustworthy person? And over time, I found out that she's a very trustworthy person, very loyal, a great mom, and a wonderful companion. And as I just think about our lives together, what I've seen is this sense of that initial faith became actually a clearer and clearer reality of existence. 
And essentially, when that young adult takes on those eyes of faith, they begin to trust that even though I don't fully understand, I trust the God who said, I love you so much that I sent my son into the world just to bear testimony to who I am. And if that's not enough, I sent him to die to take away from you the curse and set you free. Not only that, is that if that's not enough, I brought him back out of the grave, out of the deepest part of the earth, full of life, full of eternal life. And that's, if that's not enough, I, when I called him to reign on the throne, high above powers and principalities, governments that tell us to do this and tell us to do that, and some we question and some we trust, high above all of that, not only that, I have given you a Holy Spirit to indwell inside of you as a friendly daily reminder that you are a new person and I am empowering you in this new way of life. And that faith turns into just, well, normal. Pandemics come and they go. Life-threatening situations happen and they pass. Loved ones are here, and they're gone. And all of those things that keep us awake at night, God says, my perfect love for you should cast out that fear. Do you trust me? And the centurion's like, I do. Now, I wasn't going to say anything to anybody, but I had a need in my life because my world, I, this, this servant, we use that language, but in reality, he's a member of my family, and I care for him as much as I care for my own children. He needs your help, and only you can help. And the centurion had his world rocked with all the authority, all the power, all the ability. There was a huge disruption in his life. And there was only one source that he could think of that could help during a disruption of this magnitude. And Jesus said, that's okay. I'm here to help. So here's where I want to end the message today. Because hopefully you got the glue, and you know that the glue is faith and trust, that whatever God says he is capable of doing, he will. Whatever you're worried about, he will help you to overcome. Faith is not, if I only have this belief that you will give me that car, or you will give me that money, or you will, you will give me this or that, if I just, if I just trust you a little, if I just have a little bit more faith in my head. No, it's not about the strength of your faith. It is about the object of your faith, and that is Jesus. So some of us on TV are told, yeah, you didn't get that healing because you didn't have enough faith. I don't know what to make of that, but that's just nonsense. And some of us think, if I just try harder as a believer, maybe I'll go to heaven hoping against hope. This is nonsense. We have to just trust the Savior. Because in the middle of any disruption, he's there. And I would say if you're having a disruption, you're coming out of a disruption, this is a this is actually a hothouse for faith. It is a gestation point for faith because I have two takeaways from this message. And the first one is faith comes to life during disruption. The centurion was like, I believe, 
but now I have to trust. I have no choice. And if you've gone through this past year not recognizing that God can take this moment and bring your faith to life, then you're, you've missed something. Talk about, if I had FOMO, it would be about that. And the second thing is disruption has a way of shaping our faith. It has a way of clarifying what is important and what is not. You know, when I married my wife, she clarified for me what was important and what was not. And I clarified back to her what I thought was important and what was not. And then eventually I figured out, whatever she clarified, that that's what we're doing. Okay. See my big toothy grin and toothless grin? So here's my question as I end. How has God used the pandemic to shape your faith? And maybe you haven't asked the question. But if you haven't, you may be wasting the opportunity to allow this disruption to bring that into greater focus. Because I think that's really what God wants to do. I think he wants to show us that we're resting too secure on too many other things that are too unstable. And we got to rest on the rock. But we have to approach every day, every worship gathering, every Bible reading, every prayer with this premise of, Lord, I am trusting in faith that you are at work here. And I am trusting in faith that God's at work in this room. And it may be the stirring of your heart like the centurion to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a part of a great family of something much bigger than anything I've ever experienced. I'm ready for the, for the journey with you, Lord. And we want to help you with that. At the end of the service, feel free to, to come and see myself or Brian or Anybody that looks like they know what they're talking about around you, we're all here to help. This is a safe place. We're all here with our own brokenness, our own disruptions, our own stories. And we're all here because we, we do want to grow our family. We want to be beaming like our friend Alice when people come to a, a saving awareness of Jesus and then obediently follow through baptism. We want to take you there. But we also want to shake you up a little bit if you haven't been trusting to recognize you have to bring the intentionality of your faith to bear on what we do religiously here. It has to be a daily recognition that though the world signals so many things to me, I trust one who is above all of that and can make things out of nothing. Like, God, you can't do that because the raw material isn't there. And God says, yeah, I made the world, didn't I? And the raw material wasn't really there. I just spoke it into being, and there it is. I spoke the gospel, and there you are. That's just how it works with God. I'm going to close in prayer, and I just pray that as I pray, you will listen to God's spirit 
prompting you, nudging you, whatever it is that God is doing in your life, hear that voice, and I encourage you to act accordingly, whatever that is. Would you bow with me? Our Lord, as we take this moment and we allow the substance of the story of the centurion to soak into our being, and we think about what the foundation is for our, our own life. Is it, is it the word? Is it the testimony that we read about your son through? And where's the rock that is underneath that foundation? Is it truly you, Lord, or am I glued or attached to something else that promises I'll be here for a while for you? And maybe it's been here for 35 years, but one day it's just going to give out. But you, Lord, you are faithful. Your promises are true. Your word is unchanging. You, Lord, are the anchor of our souls. And there are people around us that are untethered right now, Father. And we pray that through the proclamation of your word, through the caring of your people, we could call people into the place where we found ourselves in you. Lord, just bless each life here. May the seeds that have been planted grow to germination, and may the fruit emerge from that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to communion today, um, just a small reflection that, uh, that I have is... Um, you know, we kind of live in a day of technology and everything's bigger, better, easier. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room that uh, had a manual transmission vehicle. I know Leonard does. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that uh, the automatic transmission doesn't uh, need it, but, uh, you know, our anchor, a lot of times when you have a manual transmission, when you, when you park your vehicle is your emergency brake. So many of us with an automatic transmission, we don't exercise that uh, emergency brake very often. And uh, I got into a little project last night where uh, needed, uh, needed a little help because uh, the emergency brake had uh, locked up. Well, I'm sure Chuck has dealt with it in his profession too. If you don't use that emergency brake, it locks up. And I think that uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why we participate in communion every week, because much like anything that we don't use, you'll lose it. And we exercise communion every week to keep as a reminder of why we, why we are here to begin with, why we are anchored in our faith in Jesus Christ, and as, as a reminder of how he sacrificed everything for us. Um, so with that in mind, uh, let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, time that you've given us together. We 
pray that uh, you would help us to always remember uh, your son, Jesus Christ, and uh, the sacrifice that he made for us. And Lord, we thank you for the, the message that we heard this morning and that uh, you would help us to strengthen our faith in, in you each day. And uh, as we do so, uh, we pray, the, pray for the blessings upon uh, the cup and the loaf as we partake in your son's name. an aspect of this story we heard today and um, about the centurion you know people went out to go get him and they told him they talked about the centurion as being worthy for Jesus to come to him and centurion which is anomalous is the only one who knew no I'm not worthy for him to come to me um, so we're going to sing about a song now about the worthiness of Christ and just let it soak in as we as we go before his throne and as a church and sing in his praises. If you'd like to stand. Great. 
would you become everything to us? It's for your wonderful and glorious name we pray. Amen. We'll see you soon. Go get your kids.